Good afternoon. You are listening to Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we talk about art from the past and the present to understand how we have expressed ourselves through time. Now, I have another fabulous guest on today. I'm going to be speaking with Joe Baring, who is the director of the Ingram Collection, host of the Sculpting Lives podcast. She's a trustee of incredible organisations and she helped to judge the ING Discerning Eye Open Exhibition. Now, we all already spoke to Tabish Khan about the ING Discerning Eye Open exhibition before the selection. So this offers further insight of what the judging process was like. And Jo is another one of those people who absolutely loves what she does. And that was very, very clear. It was a real pleasure to speak to her. Without further ado, here is the wonderful Jo Baring. I am here with Jo Baring, who is the director of the Ingram Collection, host to the Sculpting Lives podcast, trustee of organisations such as Women of the Year, and was one of the selectors for this year's ING Discerning Eye Open Exhibition. Welcome, Jo. Thank you so much for having me. That's quite the CV you've got. <laughs> I know, I feel kind of tired just listening to it, but actually it's, it's really fun and I, I'm very, very lucky to do what I do. We are going to talk about some different aspects of what you do. And before we speak about the ING Discerning Eye Open Exhibition, I would love to hear a little bit more about the Ingram Collection and your role as a selector. Yeah, sure. So the Ingram Collection was actually founded about 12 years ago by a man called Chris Ingram and he made money in advertising and had sold his business and was always the first to say like he loved art but wanted to kind of formalize that in some way so he started buying art predominantly modern British art and we've created this museum quality collection it's now got nearly 650 works of art in it and we've turned it into a foundation it's shared publicly around the UK we lend to museums galleries but also we really love doing kind of innovative and non-traditional spaces because obviously Chris comes from an entrepreneurial background and we like to channel that entrepreneurial spirit into the things we do so we do some really non-traditional things as well and we're all about access to art and also the process of making art as being just as important as enjoying it on someone's wall or going to a museum. We're also very interested in talent and developing talent. Chris was involved in the Prince's Trust and had also been involved in the University of the Arts London and that's really how the Ingram Prize came about because we were buying from degree shows but we really felt that there was a disconnect with people leaving art school and you know that first kind of almost five to ten years where how do you make a living? Do you pursue your practice as an artist? Do you give up? What you know what do you do? There wasn't any formal support and galleries don't want to take people on who say have only been out of art school for two, three, five years. So we set up the prize to help people in that situation. And it's just hugely, it's hugely successful, actually. We've, we're in the fifth year of the prize now and I've got a record number of entries. That is, that is incredibly exciting. And I'm really glad that you prefaced that by saying that you want to make art more accessible and that that's what it's about because I wholeheartedly support that. Um, and art, it seems to be quite a... Um, intimidating industry doesn't it I think for a lot of people absolutely and I think it still is intimidating and I've been in the art world for 20 years I'm still intimidated you know when I come into uh, some galleries you know we have to buzz on the door and go in and you're met by some really snooty receptionist it doesn't feel good and I think that's really bad I really don't like that about the art world but we genuinely believe that art is for everyone it should be enjoyed by everyone people should have access to it should be able to visit it in museums and galleries and as I said earlier the kind of process of of making as well as being really beneficial to a whole host of people 
Absolutely. And I mean, you, you touched upon briefly the fact that you don't shy away from giving opportunities to younger artists as well. So, I mean, you mentioned how the process works. Can you talk more about how someone who's just out of art school is seeking these opportunities and might go about approaching you? Yes. So we formalised our support of artists leaving art school by setting up the Ingram Prize. And I deliberately don't use the word young because actually we started off calling it the, you know, the Young Ingram Prize or whatever, but actually it's not actually for young people. You know, there are lots of people who maybe go back and do a master's and might be in their 50s or 60s, and they've been involved in the prize as well. So it really is open to everyone. So I steer away from saying young, but maybe emerging uh, artists. Uh, and, And it's an open call. It's free, really crucially, it's free to enter. And also there's no restrictions on size and there's no restriction on media so you know we have traditional painting we've got sculpture but also we've had performance in the past which I absolutely love and that's been exciting and also kind of a lot of our artists who are working in film you know they part of the process is that they learn with us how to price their work so all the works are for sale and they come to me and say I don't know how to edition my work how many editions of this film should I do what price should it be? Can you give me some guidance on that? So all that side of thing as well, that kind of commercial side of things, which I think is hugely important. It's half the battle, I think. And, and the fact that you're making the commercial aspect and business strategy approachable as well is really important too, I think. Now this year's the Ingram Prize, the selections have just closed. Is that is that right? Yes, we announced the shortlist last week, which is so exciting. And this year, as I said, we had a record number of entries, more than double the number of entries we had last year, which I think is a testament to the importance of opportunities like these for artists at the moment, obviously with kind of funding cuts and a kind of a general feeling of a lack of support for the arts. So we were really thrilled with that, that people think it's important, it's worthwhile entering. We announced the shortlist last week and we have been doing a series of Instagram live interviews with our finalists all this week and over the coming weeks. Because obviously we've, like everyone else, have had to think more digitally and that's been great actually, kind of introducing the finalists to our followers online but also for me to get to know them as well and a little bit more about their practice before we make the final decisions. Is that really tricky to narrow it down when you get presented with a whole spectrum of different kinds of work? It's really, really hard. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and you know, I actually because of going to the selection day and kind of having a cup of coffee and A, trying to find a cup of coffee because obviously everything is closed at the moment and sort of sitting down and thinking you've got so much ahead of you, but equally so exciting. And to be honest, I just go by gut. So we also don't ask for an artist statement, which might be controversial to some people, but we are very much believing in the work itself. So, you know, for me, it's about the work, looking at the, the kind of the detail of it. Colour just, just, it's really hard to explain actually, but also we have to, there is a curatorial decision to be made as well, because I can't just accept everything that I like, you know, I have to think about where it will fit into the space. So we have a limited, obviously, number of larger sculptures or larger paintings. But this year, because we know that we haven't, we're not going to be able to do a private view. So normally we do a kind of a massive private view on the Friday night, which is heaving. And because we know we can't do that this year, actually it's been really helpful because I have been able to include more works, you know. So I've been able to think about the floor space and think, okay, I'm not going to have a thousand people here tripping Mm -hmm. up over things. So we have been able to have more works. And also we, there's 
just been a, a real kind of return to craft, I think, and an and a experimentation with different materials. Um, that was going to be my next question. Is, has there been a shift that you've noticed between the works that have been created during the pandemic? And I guess resources are also an issue. Absolutely. And some of the artists who are included in this year's prize, one of them is a sculptor. And she said to me, that, do you remember that time when we knew that lockdown was imminent and it was kind of a couple of days beforehand and she said she just went to her studio and sort of picked up everything she could carry and brought it home. But obviously, you know, particularly if you're a sculptor, you are, there's sots of things like welding and kind of bigger processes that you need a particular studio for. And obviously they couldn't do that. Painters working on much larger canvases, obviously most of them are at home, they can't accommodate those either. So there's been definitely a change in scale. And also, as I said, a, a definitely a, an interest in, a renewed interest in different materials. So people are at home, maybe you're used to working in a particular material. You might think, okay, well, now I'm going to try and experiment with some paper or I might look at this. And actually, one of the sculptors I was talking to recently, she said she actually just used everyday domestic works like cornflake boxes cut them up to make the shapes and kind of modeled using those shapes and then then cast them later but but really interesting and also some artists their work has been more directly influenced by the pandemic so we've got a few masks and also we've got which i think is incredible is a, a piece of sculpture called social distancing gloves which is by an artist who even before the pandemic was researching she is artist in residence at Newcastle University Science Department and she is researching what's called the haptic touch so it's where the eye makes up quite a lot so when we see the eye make, kind of makes makes judgment calls on things and actually in order to fully ascertain what something is you have to be able to touch it um and obviously now that was what her work was about before but obviously now we're not allowed to touch anything no. so her work has now transmuted into that and the importance of touch so she's created these gloves where they're they're connected and they're two meters apart but you put your hand in and what she's put inside makes it feel like you're holding someone's hand oh so my that, goodness yeah so there's that reconnection of of the importance of oh, the humans yeah that gave me all kinds of chills I, i i keep watching things on television and and kind of getting a bit of a shock when i see people hugging or handshaking and and i just i miss i'm very i'm a very tactile person anyway i like to hug everyone so it's been God, yeah, just hearing that somebody is really kind of exploring those ideas, I think is really important. And have you got any personal favourites that you can talk about? Or am I, are you not allowed to say? <laughs> <laughs> All the finalists are my favourites, I have to say. And then I do these, as I said, I do these Instagram live interviews with them. And after each one, I think, oh, I love them. I love them. <laughs> and they're, they're all so different. You know, we've got ceramicists, um, which I think is fascinating. And then this afternoon, I'm going to be talking to some artists working in film. I think it's just a hugely exciting kind of microcosm of what's going on in, in the art world today. And allowed artists to sort of showcase their creativity within new defined parameters as well. I feel like that's, it's impressed me endlessly how much creatives have, um, or how creatives have decided to sort of uh, evolve during this period. Uh, it's been quite impressive actually. And, um, and so let's give the dates of the exhibition then. At present, we're planning for a physical exhibition, which is going to be the 20th to the 27th of November at the cello factory in Waterloo. But what we all have also booked in is obviously a realization that even if we are allowed to go ahead, most people won't be able to come. So we've got you know, a film crew booked in to film it and we're going to put it all online. We're going to put it on an app so that people can do a virtual tour and you know, have the artists talking about the work. So 
you know, we're all, we're all just trying to do our best to, to disseminate as much information about the show as we can really. And also give those artists an opportunity to showcase themselves. So you mentioned the Instagram page. Can you give listeners the, the name of the Instagram and where they can go to find information on this prize and the hopefully exhibition? So the Instagram page is at Ingram Collection UK. Bit of a mouthful, but I think if you just search for Ingram, it should come up. And then the Ingram Collection website is just www.ingramcollection.com and that has all the information but it's also a great opportunity. Everything is for sale. And previous participants in the Ingram Prize have gone on to do amazing things. There's an artist called Victoria Sin, who won previously, who was then selected for the Venice Biennale for the performance section, has been in a group show at the Hayward Gallery. Another artist, Harrison Pierce, had a solo show in LA. Another one, one of last year's winners, Alvin Ong, had some of his paintings actually transposed onto the side of the Singapore National Museum of Art. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so... I mean, in terms of supporting artists, it's great. But also there are some really exciting artists coming out of the Ingram Prize. And, you know, there's a legacy in the Ingram Collection of supporting artists who then go on to, to, to achieve really great things. So actually, it's, it's quite a good way of having a ready curated uh, selection of works for sale. And that leads us nicely on into talking about your next, your next big job, which has been to select for the ING Discerning Eye Open Exhibition this year. Oh my goodness, how have you kept up with this all? I don't know. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, it's just so exciting. It's such an absolute honour to be picked as one of the judges for the ING Discerning Eye. And it's always kind of been in my art calendar as something that I really looked forward to going to see and also checking out who the judges were and being really interested in their own personal selection. So to be asked to be a judge, I was absolutely thrilled, to be honest. And also alongside some of my really good art world friends, which is such a coincidence, like the painter David Remfrey and also the critic um, Tabish Khan. Yes, we had on the show, actually. He was a delight. He's great. He's great. Um, So, you know, it's just a great opportunity, actually. I've loved every single minute of it so far. I mentioned that we we spoke to Tabish, but um, can you tell us a little bit more about the exhibition and, and just about the prizes? And then we'll talk about the judging process as well, because that's something that you've been very heavily involved in as a judge. So each decide eye each judge is allowed to invite a certain number of artists to bypass the selection process and be part of their own selection which is great so there are lots of artists who have been involved in the Ingram Prize that I invited to submit who I think are really special and also artists really well established artists like uh, Kathy Pilkington who is a really really well-renowned sculptor she's actually the first female professor of sculpture at the Royal Academy and she had a great installation at Pallant House a couple of years ago. So you know, she submitted some works. Um, Claire Barnett, who is the president of the Royal Society of Sculptors, is in my selection. So there's a lot of really interesting artists in each of the judges' selections. And then there's this open submission. So we had a really great, fun few days deciding, picking who gets what. So normally it's a physical selection process. So we all get together and things are shown to us physically and then you can choose. Obviously, pandemic we had to do it via zoom which was hilarious and so everything was kind of brought up on this screen and it's kind of like fingers on the buzzers basically like is it like the voice where they have to turn around first (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so it kind of if you like it you have to say i like that um so that's kind of what we did for that which was really really fun 
but equally hard because for me personally it's hard to see when selecting you know you can't look at texture or surface um i'm particularly interested in objects and sculpture and that kind of thing so you know you have to be fastest finger on the buzzer but also say i can't hang on a second to take a step back i want to have some more detailed images of that i want to get a three is there another 360 i mean some people send videos of their sculptures which is really helpful for me to kind of ascertain what exactly was going on but a really also really interesting to see other judges choices and personal tastes you know if we all had the same taste life would be really boring now obviously the submissions have, have come in you've made your selection each of the six judges has their own selection in the exhibition so what's the process from here then so the process from here is so we've done our own selection and we've actually completed the open submission as well so we've had our two days zooming deciding on that and then everyone who is successful in the open submission has now been notified and I think then it all goes online quite soon. So I think at the moment, everyone is checking that they've got really good high-res images, checking the works are still available. You know, crucially, they have to be for sale as well, which I think is really important, just giving artists, as I said before, like artists need an opportunity at the moment to sell their works and for us to support that in any way we can. You know, if people are able to support artists in the creative world at the moment, I think it's really important to do so. And this is another way that you know, you're making art accessible as well. This exhibition was completely open to everyone, wasn't it? I'm sorry if there's anyone listening that missed the opportunity to enter, but you can, of course, enter next year. Now, we've got the dates here because the exhibition was supposed to be a physical one. It's now a virtual one. How do you think that plays into making art more accessible? Obviously, I think if it's available online for people, then it is much more accessible for people to go and view the art. And I think also with where we are in the, in the kind of pandemic, obviously it's November now, you know, we've had a whole summer of, of people and we've had months of people being much more digitally aware and you know people teaching other people how to use Zoom, how to you know, get online, all those things where people who wouldn't necessarily have been online before are now online and using it really happily. There's also been a great history over just the last few months of successful online art initiatives like the amazing artist support pledge you know which I mean I think has now had millions and millions of art traded under the hashtag artist support pledge on Instagram and actually is testament to the fact that people are prepared to a support artists but b buy works from just seeing them online so many more people are going to get to see this exhibition now that it's online rather than purely a physical show I know from the online exhibitions that I've organized that going forward I'm going to be doing physical shows but I'm also going to keep doing the online offering because I think it's hugely important to give that access for people who aren't physically able to go to things. Absolutely and you mentioned as well all of the artworks in this exhibition are also for sale is that right? They are they are which is hugely important I think you know I said it's just great for artists to be able to showcase their work to a whole host of new buyers and also particularly for buyers. All the fairs have been cancelled this year. You're not able to go and see things and buy things. Some galleries are shut. So it's a really great opportunity just to kind of come and browse and see what takes your fancy. And as I said, all the judges have very different tastes, which makes it really fun. What's the kind of price points are we talking about? Is, is there a full spectrum? Some of them are at a really, really, really accessible price point, you know, maybe £200, which I think is so important. And then right up to, as I said, the kind of really well-established, well-renowned artists who are possibly offering bronze sculptures so obviously that is kind of around the £10,000 mark in my selection. I've deliberately included a lot of works at that kind of £200 mark because I just think obviously that's still a huge amount of money and it's a lot to lay out at the moment when we're all really worried 
but I think it's important to to make people realise that potentially that is affordable to some people and to support art. And you can for that you can get a really beautiful original work of art. It really sounds like there is something for everyone, and I know I know that sounds a bit like a uh, a kind of cliche <laughs> thing to say, but but really, like I mean, there's something for new collectors, for kind of more established collectors, for newer artists, for kind of more established artists. I think people don't often realise until they have a piece of artwork just how much it impacts your everyday, and and I think that's so important. You know, this is something that can influence how you feel. You know, you pass it down. So you know, two hundred pounds. I know, obviously, we're starting. That's kind of the lower end, but really can make a huge difference to your well-being I think artwork so the 18th of November is when the exhibition opens and then the 31st of December is when the exhibition closes is there anything you would say to buyers who are perhaps a little hesitant about buying art online I mean obviously I'd be really I'm trying to encourage people to buy art online and as I said you know there is that history of it with people supporting the artist support pledge I think what you can do is it's all about dialogue so if you're unsure about something ask for more images you know so get in touch so you know it's with the ING you know you can look online but then maybe I think some of the works have more than one image so you're able to kind of get a sense of something if you're not convinced just email whoever it is that's selling it for more images and they will provide you with that you know if you say I'm not sure about the texture can you can you do it up close? Can I have a photo of it in daylight? Might be quite a good one because actually sometimes the images are shown in kind of with really great lighting on them with sort of photographer's light and you are obviously going to be putting it maybe in your kitchen or in your sitting room. So I would definitely ask for it in daylight. Is that an artificial light? How was that photograph taken? Can I have another photograph of, of it just on someone's phone with someone next to it so that I can then assess the kind of the light of it, um, get an idea of scale? So question, you know, just questions, 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 and ask for more images. And if someone is not prepared to send you more images or answer your questions, then feel very confident, you know, you can walk away from something. So, you know, you need to have everything to be perfectly confident buying. And if you're not, just find someone who can help you and and just find out a little bit more. I think that was a perfect answer. Right, let's talk about your podcast because, as I mentioned before, you do you do a whole host of things. One of which is your podcast, Sculpting Lives. Can you talk more about that? I love a podcast. Love a podcast. Yeah. So we released our podcast accidentally at the end of March, um, which <laughs> turned out to be really great timing for releasing a podcast. And it's called Sculpting Lives. And we had thought previously it was quite a niche subject matter. It's basically about women sculptors. And all last year, so I do it with a colleague, Dr. Sarah Victoria Turner. She is the Deputy Director of Research at the Paul Mellon Centre for British Art. So all last year, throughout 2019, we were going around the country interviewing artists, curators, artist families, museum directors, basically everyone. We, we loved our microphone and we took it, we took it around, around the UK with us. And we went to the Barbara Hepworth Museum, we went to the Yorkshire Sculpture Park, we went to the Hepworth Wakefield, down to Pallant House in Chichester. And we released the podcast, as I said, in, in March, Series 1. So it profiled five women sculptors, uh, a mixture of figurative sculptors, abstract sculptors, contemporary artists, dead artists, and just tracing their career arc, but also that kind of personal touch, so how they, you know, for example, Barbara Hepworth, right at the start of the century, had five children. I mean, how did she, she had triplets. 
my you know, so it's, you oh know, it's God. nuts really. And then right through to, you know, interviewing Phyllida Barlow, who is one of our most successful artists and someone like Rana Begum, who by the kind of, by the end of the century, she's saying, don't pigeonhole me as a sculptor. I'm an artist. And you know, I work across mm -hmm. a whole range of materials and installation and neon and all that kind of thing. Um, we're, we're currently working on series two at the moment, actually. But it, what made us think about it was that idea that actually the most famous British women artists are sculptors. And also about how traditionally sculpture had been such a male environment so I you know I mentioned kind of some of the younger sculptors can't get to their studio you know they want to weld um you know so it's kind of really big heavy materials you know you're in a kind of really masculine environment in a foundry with all the furnaces and all that kind of thing and actually Philida Barlow said that when she went to art school in the 1960s there was even a sign on the door saying no ladies in the welding room <laughs> I mean how long ago is it it's really not that long ago it is not that long ago you know and also she said that her tutor when she turned up I said to her I'm not going to bother with you because as a woman by the time you're 30 you're just going to be making jam and having babies and she she turned around and said well what's wrong with that but also just thought this is you know unbelievable and obviously now look at her you know she's had a show at the Tate she's had that brilliant show at the Royal Academy she represented Britain at the Venice Biennale so we're going to release series two next year which has been incredibly exciting and actually just such a joy to talk to artists in their studios their families curators and also the response that we got was you know we were really thrilled with it actually yeah yeah I mean that sounds like a dream job I think doesn't it traveling around speaking to artists and kind of broadcasting the sort of lives and careers of amazing people I mean that, that sounds incredible where can listeners go to listen to your podcast where is it available well so it's available on every single podcast <laughs> app that you require so just search <laughs> for Sculpting Lives we've also got a little Instagram page as well at Sculpting Lives and yeah, so, you know, if you're going down to the Hepworth um, Museum, just check it out. Or there's, you know, various things like the Elizabeth Fring. Uh, we did an episode on someone called Kim Lim. And they, the Tate have just opened a very, uh, a little um, showcasing of Kim Lim's work. So that's a kind of a good kind of little background bit of research to do. Just listen to the podcast before you go or maybe after just to set it in context. I was just going to say, we can listen to the podcast as we walk around. That, yeah, that's... yeah immersive experience I love exactly. well she's really interesting actually because Kim Lim came over from Singapore in the 50s so with her you know quite a lot of what she faced was not only gender bias but but race as well and and there's a she's very interesting in how she dealt with that um so it's actually just quite inspiring in terms of these women how they overcame real difficulties mm. you know sometimes you can think oh I'm having a bad day and then I just think about Hepworth with her triplets kind of going into the Second World War and thinking, actually, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, it really puts things in perspective, doesn't it, I think? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think we all need that. We all need a reality check sometimes. But it's interesting just hearing other people's stories, I think, is helpful for everyone, isn't it? I think that's why we love podcasts so much, right? Especially now when we can't interact with people. Just hearing stories, hearing people's stories, hearing their struggles, hearing their triumphs is just fascinating for me anyway. So there's definitely one I'm going to give a listen to. And of course, the ING Discerning Eye Open Exhibition, you just search ING Discerning Eye Open Exhibition to find out more about the virtual exhibition. And, you know, hopefully it will be become a physical exhibition as well. And of course, the Ingram Prize exhibition. 
absolutely fantastic to talk to you, Joe. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, you too. It's such a pleasure to come on and talk about art. And I've had, you know, such fun doing the selection for the ING. And I, you know, I'm thrilled to be able to present it. And all the kind of little artists, all the artists in my selection, I feel really proud of each and every one of them. So I hope they do really, really well. Oh, I'm excited. I mean, they've got you backing them, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I love them all. I want them all. The problem <laughs> is, I was emailing them and saying, oh, can you be in my selection? They sent me the images. I was thinking, okay, maybe those can go in and I can have that one. I, no, I can't have any. <laughs> I can't have any. They've all been going to show. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, such a pleasure. Thanks, Anna. It is such a privilege to speak to such intelligent and insightful and enthusiastic people about what they do and making art accessible. I had such a lovely time talking to Joe, and I wish all of the artists that have applied for the Discerning Eye competition and the Ingram Collection competition the best of luck. And if you're sitting there thinking, God, I really wish I'd been a part of that, well, you can next year. Don't forget, put it in the diary, well worth applying. You can end up selling your art, you can end up having an exhibition, the opportunities are endless. That is unfortunately all we've got time for this week. But thank you so much for listening to Art Then and Now with me, Anna Gammons. As of today, we are obviously in lockdown. So once again, I'll remind you to wash your hands, wear your masks and just look after each other. Make sure you stay in contact with friends and family. Zoom and Skype, phone calls are really, really vital during this time for you and I'm sure everyone you love as well. See you next week.